Yeah, and usually what mm-hmm. I do, Kate, is I edit the episode not for content, but for like coughs and splutters and things like that. So hopefully if you're okay with that. I completely trust you. My goodness. I, which I may live to regret. <laughs> Welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, included the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J, and hello, our very, very special guest, Kate Bornstein. Welcome to the show. Hello. Happy to be here. Very happy to be here. We go way back, don't we? Yes, we do go way back. My God, when was it? Let me think. Transfabulous. That's right. I was there. I performed. Oh, my God. I was the one who got naked and screamed (laughs) at people and threw the boots with steel shanks in them at the audience without realizing how dangerous that was because I'm an idiot. The image is burned into my brain. (laughs) My memory is really fucked up. But that... mm, mm, mm. (laughs) You got a haircut since then. Love it. Oh, yeah. So for the for the listener who may not know, Transfabulous was a series of events, but also festivals that ran in London in the, I want to say, early 2000s. It I was 2005, say. 2006, right. and 2007. It was wonderful. What happened was I was performing at the time, dear listener. Uh, I do that less these days, but I was also speaking and doing the academic thing, which I've been doing more these days. And I was doing both of those at the Transfabulous Festival. And... It was quite a lineup that year. I was also encouraged to book a series of performers, which became a show called The General Queer Playhouse, which Jay was involved with a number of other performers. And we ended up touring that eventually, which was very exciting. But this particular event was the first time we were doing it. And it was just a sort of what a perfect storm of fabulous people all meeting at the same time. Kate was invited. Uh, Jameson Green was invited. I yeah. believe Jack Halberston was there. A few other notable, fabulous people. And I was asked to do the academic-y, talky thing alongside these illustrious names. Now, I was a very young queer academic at the time, more used to telling jokes on stage. And I was tremendously nervous meeting you, Kate, because what had happened was I had read your books pre-coming out in a corner in the library at the... Uh, the illustrious London School of Economics, known for its gender studies. <laughs> I was in the library reading your books going like, oh, and so you were one of the first people that helped me come out through your literature. And then there I was sitting on the dais with you. And I believe Jameson, we were next to each other and you were speaking and uh, we had like an hour and a half or something. And uh, both you and Jameson spoke wonderfully uh, but of course, partly because you traveled all this way, but also because you're very, very good speakers, the time was getting short and I had prepared this talk and I had this, uh, you know, I was going to do a tiny bit of a performance piece with it, which is about the gender identity wars, you know, the sort of like the borders between identities, you know, what is butch and what is drag king, what is femme and what is trans femme. And my performance piece was to do it as a, a very, very loud British general you know, breaking up the country, drawing lines and stuff like, you know, the Brits do love to do. And um, it came to the end. And I think we had about 10 minutes left. And I was like, well, okay, I'm just going to do that bit. (laughs) Without context, I jumped up with this, I think, British army jacket and just went, hello, right, here we go. Let's do the gender wars. (laughs) Up with a slide. (laughs) 10 minutes of like, right, right, here are the fans, here are the butchers. And then (laughs) finished. 
It was just ended it with no good. And um, I remember, Kate, you were very, very kind to me after that. And we struck up a friendship from that basis. And honestly, I can't think of a better way to make a connection with another human being. So it's delightful to meet you again. Kate and I have been able to speak very irregularly whenever we're in the same place. So it's really lovely to be able to do this digitally over the airwaves. So yes, we skipped over the bit where we introduce ourselves. Dr. J, do you want to very briefly tell us who you are? So, hey, I'm Dr. J. I come essentially from the self-defining future. I work at a place called ThoughtWorks where I get to write my own job title. So I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change because if you can, why not be fabulous? And I also, thanks to the New Zealand government, got to give myself my own gender. So I'm transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer as my official gender, which is on a statutory declaration. Wow. Say it again slowly. <laughs> uh, transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer is my official gender that I have been living since about 2007 or eight. So I don't think when I performed at Transfabulous, I'd actually recognized my gender and my name at the time. I was just this little inchoate rage that kind of performed on stage. <laughs> What else am I? I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because I've now been to like two entire queer lectures. But the first one that I went to was by Sarah Ahmed was about queering things by being a nuisance. And I just decided that hashtag queer nuisance was the perfect branding. So that's what I've taken on. That's me. Josephine, shall I throw it back to you? And then we throw it to Kate. Hi, my name is Josephine Baird. I'm an academic and artist. I used to be known more for treading the boards, if you will, as a queer performer. Uh, I haven't done that so much recently, but with fingers crossed, I may be doing it again soon at a theatre near you. So news of that coming up. But in the meantime, I am a lecturer at the University of Uppsala in the game design department where I teach about game design. And I also happen to be a PhD student again (laughs) at the University of Vienna, Austria. And maybe this time it'll stick. I'm writing about trans people playing games and why playing games is a really cool thing to do for queer folk. I also like to think of myself as a femme of international history. (laughs) So there you go. Kate, I imagine to those people listening, you might not need introduction. Would you like to introduce yourself? But I can do it if you don't want to do it. Um, You could do it while I fix this thing in my ear. I've got new headphones. And so I may be doing that during this talk. Go ahead. I'll try my best. You've been a stage performer. You have been a film and TV actor. The last time I saw you on TV was uh, in um, The Blacklist with James Spader, which I'm really curious to ask you about later on. And also for your excellent, excellent writing. As I said just now in the introduction, one of the ways that I learned about Kate was through your books. My want to say was Gender Outlaw was the first that I read. And then for many, many years, you've produced texts that have been really seminal to the communities that I've definitely been involved with. One of my favorites being Hello, Cruel World, which is a book for alternatives to self-harm and suicide for anybody who happens to be different, which is something that we like to talk about here, being different and all the things that that might cause. Most recently, I know you had a memoir that came out and the second or third edition of Gender Outlaw. And I know you continue to write and speak and perform and generally do all those things. Did I get everything? Yep, I believe you did. Wait, there was a novel that I wrote with my pal, Caitlin Sullivan. Yes, I do. It was called Nearly Roadkill. That's right. It was way, 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 way back when. I remember, I remember. 
1996 or seven, something like that. Welcome, Kate. It's such a delight to have you here. Every My great episode- joy. Oh, it's our joy. And honestly, it's such a pleasure every time we talk. And I'm really thrilled that we can record this one. <laughs> Usually it's not recorded. Usually it's in some corner at a conference where we're just chatting away about whatever. So we were talking just before we started, dear listener, about what kind of topic we'd like to talk about. Every episode here at It Is Complicated, we usually pick a topic and loosely chat around that. Or if Jay's involved, pick a topic and then end up talking about something completely different. Which is very possible what might happen today. My thoughts were to talk a little bit, or at least start talking a little bit about the concept of hope. And in the response to, at the time of recording, some utterly awful world events that have really rocked our, well, everybody. And uh, it has been very difficult for me personally to feel hopeful, to feel positive, to feel good in that environment. But one of the things that I know from Kate, your work, is that you've always to me anyway, expressed hope and possibility in the face of the most difficult circumstances. One of the things that you've done that I really enjoyed is you produce a card that you give out to people, which if I'm describing it correctly, basically it is a card that you can take with you upon your death. And if you as a queer person go to hell, because for some reason that actually exists and so happens that you go and you go because you happen to be queer. Kate has offered to do your time for you. And you can present this card to whatever demon uh, you may be meeting. And this card is a get out of hell free card. And honestly, I thought it was one of the most beautiful, fabulous responses to the kinds of persecution that we can sometimes have that can really affect people badly. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit, Kate, what your thoughts are about things like that, being hopeful in the times of things like this. What's going on right now? When you first said um, we're going to be talking about hope, I don't think I directly speak to hope. I like to eradicate fear, and hope and fear are two sides of the same coin. And don't want to live in fear. And the fear that I could eradicate was the fear of going to hell. So that's handled. If you go to hell for something that wasn't mean, I will do your time for you. And we're going to work it out so that there's going to be a downloadable copy of that card for everybody. You keep it on your phone. It'll work just as well. But it wasn't my intention to instill hope. It was my intention to remove fear. And both fear and hope are living in a time that isn't current. I mean, I do say things like, my darlings, love always fucking wins, of course. And that's a hopeful statement, but it's made right now. And it takes into account right now. Right now, it's really fucked up. I live in the United States, and my country has just outlawed abortion. (sighs) And the whole trans movement began with women demanding their gender rights. 
And that just kept giving courage to people. That gave courage to gays and lesbians, courage to bisexuals, and finally courage to us to come out and say, we want our gender rights. And now it's kind of the basis of our movement has been rocked in my country. And in terms of hope, (laughs) a lot of people don't have that. And it's hard to live with the reality that hope is as empty as fear. So now what do you do? If you can't have hope, what do you do? You live in the present. You go, okay, no matter what happens, no matter where I am, I know my gender. Done. Now, gender expression, that's another question. That might be limited in some places and by some reasons, but that doesn't affect who you are and the joy you have for being that gender. That's where I'm going. More of be the gender you are and it'll erase the bad stuff. It's as always complicated. And yeah, it's interesting, (laughs) but yeah, that's why we call the show this. I really hear what you're saying. I guess maybe the reason I wanted to talk about this was because I was feeling hopeless, honestly, in the face of, yes, the news from the United States, the news from the UK right now. Jay and I often speak about this off the air, so to speak. We find ourselves in a place where we're like, okay, what do we do with this feeling? What do we do with this emotion? What do we do with this sadness, this anger, this rage, these things that, yes, they can be put into something useful yes they can be turned into something but how sometimes the how isn't there and i think the best we've come up with weirdly enough is producing things creating that's how we started doing this i was in a very very dark moment like i said uh, before we started i started this podcast with jay partly because i was unemployed during covid and um, i was unemployed in a way that was particularly nasty I'd been excluded from things because of who I was for expressing my gender the way I was. And we said, what should we do in the face of this feeling? And we created this amongst other things. And one of the things that we did with the show in Transfabulous was the same thing. We were dealing with horrible circumstances, all of us, and we decided to make something. Now, it happened to be funny because... Jay and I, and I know Kate, yourself, we often deal with these kind of feelings with humor. And part of that is because if we weren't laughing, we'd be crying. (laughs) Part of it, I think, genuinely, because this is the only way to translate something that is untranslatable. Like, how do you even talk about a feeling like that you can't get to express your gender and you don't even have a world where you could figure out what it is that your gender is? So I like the idea of reducing fear. Part of the problem when it comes to gender being oppressed to the point where we can't express it without danger, we can't safely express our genders. That's how I grew up in the 1950s. Uh, There were no words. uh, There was no space except back streets or behind locked doors. And even then we had no words. But I think now, now that we've gotten to a point where we go, yay, we can express our genders, I think 
the danger to ourselves comes in equating what we believe our gender to be with who we really are. We say something like, my authentic self, when we're talking about our gender, I believe that it's more helpful to view our genders as more of a graphic user interface. And that's how I can get around in the world. And this is how I can make people deal with me in a certain way because of my graphic user interface. And that way, when I'm attacked for my gender, it's not an attack on me. It's an attack on what I'm wearing. Not, not literally clothes, but yeah, sort of. And that has given me courage. And I think courage in the face of danger is what we need to find for ourselves. One of the things that gives me major hope at the moment is seeing, and I'm going to sound so fucking old, seeing the youth of today on TikTok and in these spaces where they find ways of expressing who they are and expressing themselves. Realizing that Transfabulous was nearly 20 years ago now, but it's what I think of and conceive of as only being a couple of years ago is actually long enough ago that some of my colleagues from work, when I talk about something happening in 2005, they were only four or five when it came out, realizing that these kids have grown up with this freedom of expression of their gender, with this freedom of being able to be authentically, playfully themselves, to have the bright hair, watching people take on oppression with no, you're not going to do that from the youth. It just feels so hopeful. I was just watching a video of the cast of Heartstoppers. They're barely 20 if they're a day. They're wearing their progressive pride flags as capes, like superheroes, running around pride, singing Whitney Houston to the Christian right as they're protesting them. This is gleefully being queer. This is gleefully being that queer nuisance. This is being joyous in your protest and protesting almost flipping around from a very dour, earnest thing into something much more joyful and much more creative at the moment, and use social media to get to the people who can't express their gender, have their concept of their gender, but can't do it outside of their house. We're going to give them a space to do it inside their house and share it with others and see themselves reflected back because that is the most amazing, hopeful thing that you can do is to see something like yourself, to see something that looks and sounds and thinks like you talking to you going, yeah, you're not alone. Because growing up alone in that conservative space where you can't be anything other than cis and straight and constrictions and then growing into a wider world and seeing that there's other possibilities out there and finding the chance to play in that space, that is what gives me hope. And I think just making space for people to do that stuff is so important and so huge and reflecting it back. That's where hope comes from, from me. That's terrific. <laughs> These concepts that, that go around each other, the notion of courage, fear, whether that, that leads to hope or not. I remember back to that time where we met. I was living in the moment very much because that's what I could do. It's the only thing I could do. You know, very poor in London and queer and very visibly queer as well. And it's just like, well, what else can you do but live right now? in the community that you're in right now, 
and help the people that are around you right now. There is something that creates courage from that. And it is about expressing yourself and then feeling that reflected back to hearing our stories being expressed and seeing that reflected back gives courage in a way that I don't think we're really aware of. I remember, Kate, you had an impact on me without even being there. I was this kid in a library reading your book. And then soon I found myself on stage giving my own stories. And someone would come up to me afterwards and say, oh, my God, I saw you perform five years ago and it had an impact. And it's like, my God, it's the most um, humbling experience I've ever had. And realizing that expression just in and of itself can give courage to others, can make space for others, can have an impact in a way that we might not even expect right now. Even if we feel incredibly powerless, and God knows I really do right now, I feel utterly powerless in the face of really, really heavy, heavy things. But to have a voice and to express that voice and to carry on expressing, I think can really have an impact. And I love your notion of gender expression being this I don't know, almost a palette, I guess, that you bring out and go, okay, I'm going to express it this way and I'm going to express it that way. As an academic right now, I've been struggling with this notion of authentic gender. I've been challenged recently. I was writing a, you know, one of these strokey beard articles about uh, gender and I wrote in it that, oh, you know, you can express gender through games because one of the virtual spaces is so exciting is you can go in there and there's less danger of a physical attack, but you can be in a virtual space and express whatever you want. You can express authentically. And I had made the mistake of referencing Butler and a few other people about Ah. performativities of gender. And the response I got was like, well, if gender is affected by our society, how on earth could it ever be authentic? And uh, I could just see the person who'd written that smirking and, you know, being very, very, very happy about themselves. And I thought, well, (laughs) it's not about that. It's about the moment of expression. That's authentic. Like you're authentic in the moment. And then the next moment you're authentic too, even if the expression has shifted radically from moment to moment. And that's what gender performance is. You can perform yourself. (laughs) Doesn't mean you have to perform something else. And so I really, really love that because it's both an expression of something that is true but it can also be a fabulous shield, mask, I don't know, spotlight. Does that interpret it correctly, Kate? I think that's, as you say, it's complicated. The notion of authenticity, I think it's a bit of a trap. You're already authentic. No matter what you do, you are your authentic self. Gender, on the other hand, is something you're creating and... It's as authentic as you want it to be. As you said, it's more of a matter of moment to moment. I would disagree that you're always your authentic self. At work, I'm having to go into boardrooms. Yes, I look like this and I walk into boardrooms. I've got my hair currently in a punky mullet skater boy style and a pink t-shirt that says protect trans youth of course I would walk into a boardroom just like this with a jacket on of course because you know respect but (laughs) one of the things that I've struggled with is walking into those boardrooms because there's always been a thing of like not being enough in some ways not being quite okay with being in those spaces and it's very very hard to walk into those spaces and be authentically queer and be authentically yourself. And that 
was a ginormous leap when I finally took it, but it is an incredibly hard step. There's a step that a lot of people do when they're in work and things like that, where they're masking their authentic self. They're taking their authentic self, whether it's queer, neuronormative, neurodiverse, whatever, and putting on as much of a mask to look as normative as possible. And they're having to almost perform normativity to remain employed. So their authentic self is not able to be part of that conversation. Their authentic self is having to be layered and squashed so hard. That's the lens that I would say, I don't think you can always be your authentic self. And I don't think when you say you always are your authentic self, I don't think for a lot of people that's a reality of day-to-day going to work. Your authentic self is almost something that you can strip down to when you get home, but you have to put jackets on to go to work. Of course, you're right. On the other hand, if we want to look at the idea that your authentic self includes and is dependent on authentic gender expression, then you're right. But we make the decision that we ourselves are dependent upon our expression and how our expression is received and how our expression topples norms. If we know ourselves to be queer and we enter a space where it endangers us to completely express ourselves as queer, it's kind of nutty to think that we should express ourselves fully in that fashion. Instead, we pull back. It's kind of like, okay, uh, you're calling the shots for this game. I'm going to pull back. I'm still me. And wherever I can, I'm going to push. But look at my hair. And if you get away with your hair, then great. Get away with the piercing in your chin. Great. So you can't have all of it. All right. You make the decision that all of it would endanger you. So you don't do it. It's just a matter of understanding that we are the ones making the decision, not that they are the ones that are directing us or does that make sort of sense? It makes sense to me because I understand what Jay's saying. I really think I understand what you're saying in the sense that the problem with the notion of authenticity is it creates a binary of you're being authentic or you're not. And then when you're not, that that can be so soul destroying that you can't even imagine the possibility of ever being fully authentic. Because the truth is, even myself, and I think of myself as a very out queer person, I have constraints on when I can express that and how. And if I have those constraints, does that mean I'm never able to be authentic, even if I can do it only in the tiniest, tiniest way? What you're saying, Kate, I think, is that you are always authentic. It's just about what you're able to express and when. It's this notion of transition to me as well. You know, somebody says, to me, like, oh, when you transitioned, and I'm like, well, I'm kind of always in transition, <laughs> not because I've gender changed, that part I've done, but every day is a different, I, I'm, when am I finished? When am I done? Am I ever going to be done? And if, if I'm never done, does that mean I'm never authentic? And so I appreciate, Jay, what you're saying, absolutely, because I'm in many of those circumstances where I don't feel like I can express myself day to day or in all kinds of circumstances. Okay, was that sort of roughly where you're heading? Uh, that's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking. Now, I understand and it makes sense. It's kind of one of those very difficult points where you're so constricted, you're trying to find your way through. I've now reached the point where it's almost like I walk in like this as a defense against trying to look more normative. The more normative I try to look and be, the worse it becomes because everyone looks for the chinks in the armor. If I walk in and go, yeah, I'm different, 
that actually projects a very, very different energy and emotion and things in the room when we're able to not have to censor ourselves. And maybe it's the censorship, not the authenticity. It's the having to find ways around and under and over some of the censorship that you face in those spaces. And there's always that notion when you're doing that, somebody reads coming off you that you're working too hard in the situation. You're working to hide something and that makes them look doubly hard. There's identity and that's what you're being. Then there's expression and that's how you put out to others. Authenticity has to do with identity. That can never be fucked with. You know, that it, it just can't. It's kind of why superheroes have secret identities. I knew you were going to hit Marvel. I knew we were going to hit a Marvel moment at some point. You know, I mean, I love that. Ms. Marvel has to be Kamala Khan, and that's how she has to live her life until she's needed to do her superhero thing but she doesn't think any less of herself that's what you were saying josephine about you're either fully authentic or you're not that's the problem you're either allowed to express a hundred percent of who you think you are or you're not okay okay But if I make the decision that this is my secret identity and watch out when I let loose, it's just a different way of looking at it. We started off talking about hope and hope is something that we have in our heads. The hope means we're feeling good about the future. If we're feeling good about who we are, then we're authentic. We just are. If we decide that our authenticity has nothing to do with how we're expressing ourselves because secret identity and the secret identity means I can walk in the world without having to be the superhero. I know I am all the time. I just get to pull back a little bit and go, ah, that's secret identity. Superman enjoys being Clark Kent. Doesn't bother him. He gets to write stories for the daily planet. Oh my God, I never saw it that way around. I always saw it as Superman would be frustrated at being Clark Kent, being forced into this box, forced into this norm lifestyle because he can't be Superman all the time. And that's how I've always framed it. I'd never thought of it the other way around, that Superman could actually enjoy being Clark Kent, that you could actually enjoy being your secret identity. I'm just having a whole rewrite of a whole pile of comics inside my head. Sorry. All right. Batman beats himself Um, up for being Bruce Wayne. But come on. Oh, come on. Uh, Batman could solve Gotham in five minutes by just funding healthcare and funding homelessness. Let's leave Batman on the side and talk about proper, actual, rather than billionaire playboy, Elon (laughs) Musk, wank fantasies. And... (laughs) How do you feel about Batman, Jane? <laughs> I might have some feelings here. <laughs> well, we could talk about the Sandman instead. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. yeah. That's coming out soon. Yeah. All right. You brought it up. 
Sandman by Neil Gaiman is as close to the most perfect theology that I can kind of lean into and go, okay, I'm comfortable with those as my gods and goddesses. To the point where this is my sleeve, there's desire, there's delirium, they're, they're everywhere, there's Sandman. A little bit of audio description for the listener. Kate has an entire sleeve of the little endless. Um, they're called, these are the characters from the comic Sandman. And when we met, we'd done this thing where I screamed as a British general on stage. And then the very next conversation, I think I saw you with your sleeve exposed. And I was like, oh, Sandman, <laughs> you know, that was the second point of, of connection for us. I love this idea of this notion of identity and expression being considered separate. And the sense of authenticity always being inherent in the identity, no matter what you're expressing. Because this notion of hope is lost, I think, when we believe that our expression is our only possible self. That the constricted expression is the only self that we are. Expression is almost always the method by which we express the identity. And so therefore... The identity is always the case. It's the, what is it, the, the one square inch that um, George Orwell talks about in 1984 and in V for Vendetta talks about it as well. There's a square inch in the mind that no matter what someone does to you, if you can hold one square inch in your head as sacred and self and authentically you, they can never do anything to you no matter how much they damage you. And I've often thought about that notion that there is a core to who you are that is always true, no matter what happens. And that gives me tremendous hope. Hope, yes. Because then from that, anything else can happen. And yeah, I have my expression curtailed constantly, especially by my own fear of what I might express. But that doesn't stop me being any less me. And I like that very, very much, because that takes away a lot of fear for me. There's a meme running around at the moment, which is everyone says that hope is a fragile thing. Hope gets herself off the ground, dusts herself off, spits out the blood and roars back into battle. And that to me is just kind of one of those ones that's just been running around. But I just love that notion of hope being something fierce and there and not fragile, but is that thing that drives you back into battle. There's that hope that you'll get through it. It's not twinned with fear. They're two completely separate things. You can be frightened and hopeful at the same time. They can coexist. Sure. I like this. We're always breaking down binaries. <laughs> Every single binary, let me break it down. Well, authentic and authentic, that's the binary that we can break down that way too. But the idea of there being a core identity doesn't have to be a binary. That's just is. And I like that very much. Well, we get to express who we are in a universe that celebrates us. And for example, Pride Weekend or in our neighborhood where it's a queer neighborhood or in a bar where it's all queer. There we are. We blossom. That's our universe. Most of the time we have to live in somebody else's universe, but we're growing ours so that people are afraid we're going to take away their universe. And they should be afraid. <laughs> you've let the secret out i think they should be afraid because they have way too much room for the number of people that they are fuck that 
So you can grow your universe and you do that every time you meet another queer and smile in recognition. Your universe goes, bing, it's there fully. And so we have the multiverse of gender. And we can be Marvel again. You just, totally marvel, you, I guess. Well, you, you just remind me, I'm in the process, part of my PhD project, and this is why I love doing a PhD by myself, connected to a particular amount of funding, because God knows I haven't got any. But uh, I get to make a game, and my game is called Euphoria. It's a bar suddenly appears when you're walking in the street and you just need a space, and suddenly there's a door where the door wasn't before. And as you walk in, You go through the door and the portal and then something just falls off you. And then suddenly you can just express yourself no matter how you want to be. And it is a nightclub. And the nightclub is called Euphoria, where you can perform or be however you need to be. And then when you go out again, you can put back on the cloak and then head back out into the world. And that's the game. And the game inside, there's lots of mechanics and functions that just allow for that. But it's that universe. And the idea was like creating a pocket universe. Like here's a moment. Here's a time. Here's a place. And one of the things that when I first studied gender studies, I found really difficult was another binary between transgressive and regressive. The people would say there are certain acts are always transgressive and certain acts are regressive. And I was like, or certain expressions or identities. And I was like, but that's not true. These moments, these tiny little adjustments, the tiny little moments where you can create space or you can create a connection. That's power. That's our universe, not something static like behaving a certain way or being a certain way or expressing a certain way? I think what you've got is queer in a nutshell, the notion that things are always in motion. And to that degree, we're queer. Opposing us is people who want everything to stay the same and never move, which is impossible, but they keep trying and it makes them angrier and angrier to see that There are people who feel that that's not necessary for a good life. We are those people who feel that's not necessary for a good life. And there are pockets today where we can go and meet people who are like us. It may be that that has to be on TikTok for a while or a chat room, but that's not a forever thing. We're moving toward a future where we win, period. We are, my dear. (laughs) It's just, no, don't worry about that part. It's the speed with which we get there that's sometimes frustrating. It is frustrating. Part of gender is the fact that it changes. And once we own that, we can ride it. It's like riding a bucking bronco, though trying to own the motion of our gender and how we're able to express it. Now we're unable to express it. Have to pull this back because, oh, there's mom. And, And we're still our gender every moment. It's that thing in quantum physics where something can be a particle and a wave at the same time. That's gender. We're used to seeing gender as a moment, a moment in time. We can define it. We can say, this is what it is. Uh, It includes these glasses, this hair, and the way you're wearing your vest. 
Okay, we understand that. And then the next moment, uh-oh, my whole gender is gone. And you go, no, 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 no. But I went off in the wrong direction there. No, not at all. No, I was almost going to spin it backwards slightly when you were talking about those moments when you see someone and you have that heart sing moment. I had it just on the tube coming back and I met some people going to Pride and then the three of us saw a magnificent, gorgeous thang and heels and a corset and purple leopard print skin tight with muscles pouring out the top and all three of us were just like don't know gender expression we have no clue but we want it we want it we want to love it and it's that heart sing moment when you see gorgeousness like that when you see somebody being able to be themselves just out there and you're like that makes my heart sing. Obviously, their heart is singing because they're walking. Oh, with a gorgeous mustache, by the way. Just the most brilliant little Freddie Mercury mustache on top of everything. I was just like, oh, I could follow you all day long. But the fact that all of our hearts were singing, other people were staring, but you could see the people who was making smile and recognition, making smile because they loved seeing somebody like themselves, being able to be so wildly expressive and I think that moment, that's their authenticity. That's those connections of our authentic selves. They smile at each other and they reflect back to each other. And you end up with that moment of my authentic self saw the two people on the tube and we smiled at each other because we were wearing queer t-shirts and we were obviously the queers and we were doing queer things of just traveling across London. And then we see something that makes us go, oh my God, today is amazing those reflections and those bounces back of your authentic selves. I think that's that queer joy and that hope when you turn around and you say, oh my God, these things connect us. And it's those moments of connection of just looking at somebody and smiling. We've got masks on, but you can tell when somebody's smiling, even if they've got a mask on and you can feel the grins and you can feel the happiness that everyone had in that interaction. And I think that's where hope sits. I can totally buy that. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Fabulous, Jay. I feel like you've answered our question. What is hope? <laughs> come up with you. It's, it's a it's perfect a mustache. <laughs> that's what it is. Hope is wearing a purple corset <laughs> with a pretty Mercury mustache. I think that's fair enough. I don't think I can describe it any other way. Same with gender. <laughs> right? Well, not everybody wants to be wearing purple leopard print and Freddie Mercury mustache. Some people want to express their gender in a way that is considered normal, proper. I just want to get along with people. I'm a woman. Uh, I just want people to see me as a woman, period. And to the degree that they do i am my authentic self and to the degree that they don't i'm what the other two people who i met one of them looked quite conservative until he read the t-shirt which was a they them kittens t-shirt but they looked quite normative but there was that moment of they looked at me and smiled i looked at them and smiled it's that moment when you look at somebody and there's just that smile of like i see you i see you I see your little square of identity and I'm smiling at your little square of identity. I'm smiling at you. I'm not clocking you or making you or anything that's got a negative connotation. I am seeing you for the wonderful person who you are and you're lovely 
and we're going to smile at each other and our little things of identity are just going to ping off each other and have a little patah moment. What you just said, Jay, reminded me of an instance when I was in university for the first time studying gender and being out as myself and finding my way through that. It was very complicated. I was wearing makeup and for most purposes, I guess, looking pretty normative. And I, I remember walking into the Gender Institute at the LSE, very proper title. And one of my fellow academics said to me, oh, Josephine, why do you feel the need to wear lipstick? I mean, that's very normative. You, you could just not wear lipstick. And I was like, uh-huh. And she said, uh, and, and, and why are you shaving? You know, like, you don't have to shave. That, that's, that's also really super normative. It's kind of, why don't you just not shave? And, and, and why do you need to wear dresses and skirts too? That's very, very normative gender too. Why don't you just like wear not dresses? Like maybe, you know, wear checkered shirts or trousers and stuff. And I was like, am I, a, am, I feel like I'm starting to look like a, a lumberjack or something in your vision and it's like no because you have this idea that gender of any kind can be inherently good or bad why can't it just be what it is and the choice is what makes it different and so I used to joke with them and say well by that standard I would say that I can wear these things because I'm transgressive and you can't because it would be normative on you that's a ridiculous argument so why don't we just say it's always transgressive if it's your choice why not just call it a choice? And that choice always felt powerful to me. Like the choice to be able to express felt hopeful, felt powerful, not the thing that you actually choose. So if you choose to be socially normative, because that's who you feel you are, then you have done it, (laughs) hopefully in a way that feels good. Whereas when you don't choose and you feel like you can't choose, that's when it feels rough. I like that it's when you can't choose that it feels rough. And I know that there's always a notion of choice, but sometimes to choose is to put yourself in danger to your hiddenness or your ability to play with your expression or your gender is constrained. That is the roughness. I just like little ping beacons moment of hope. I'm just going to stick with that and sit in my little happy ping beacon corner. Are you on pinging, Jay? Like on that note, with Jay pinging away, I don't want to draw a line on this. I feel free to carry on having this conversation, but I also appreciate that we shouldn't keep you longer than your energy allows, Kate, or anything else. We also have to discuss a very serious topic. As always, Dr. Jay, we talk about what we might talk about next week. If you can or can't be here, Kate, perhaps you'd like to be a part of that planning process. Jay and I often discuss what our next topic might be, and invariably, for some reason, it always is, Dr. Jay, how breathtaking is Keanu Reeves? And I believe Kate's on the same page here that Keanu Reeves is, in fact, breathtaking. Yep. Absolutely. Is there any other way to conceive of the expression of Keanu Reeves? Like I watched John Wick 1 because I was recovering from COVID and needed something that didn't engage my brain in any way, shape or form other than enjoying the beauty and the breathtakingness of Keanu Reeves in a bang, bang, hitty, hitty movie. But I forgot how devastating the first 20 minutes are. They are worse than up. If you are not crying by the time Daisy dies, you are a heartless being. You have absolutely no emotions whatsoever. You should be a sobbing wreck at the heartbreak Keanu shows. He is just that first 20 minutes is just a tour de force 
course of acting around processing grief and all of that. And then he goes around and just basically slaughters everybody, which is brilliant in the most amazing ways possible. And you also know that he's doing most of his own stunts because his face is everywhere. He's doing so much himself. And I'm like, wow, he is just, yes, breathtaking. I think I think that was breathtaking, Jay. Great <laughs> breath away. I don't know what else to say. It will never pass the Betchel test. I admit it. The puppy has more screen time than any of the other two women in the movie. But it is such an amazingly done movie. It is so much fun, and Keanu is just completely breathtaking throughout. That, that he is, but unfortunately, one thing he has not done is he's done any kind of Marvel, Kate, which I, I, I don't know what you think. What would he be good What would he be good at? Could he do DC? Could he be destruction? He's too kind to be destruction. Or maybe he is perfectly destruction because destruction does actually have, in the depths of Sam and that moment of not wanting to be, he is the brother who walks away. He is the endless who walks away from it because he is sick of it. And maybe that's a kindness. But Keanu, I I mean, Josephine did send me when I was very sad, the Tower of Keanu, which is basically all the kind things that Keanu has done collected in a book. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) You can enjoy that notion, dear listener. Thank you for joining us again this week. We will be back next time. In the meantime, if you're interested in following us, you can find us on all the social medias. On Twitter, we are It Is Complicated without an E at the end. You can find us elsewhere. I, I don't, or Patreon. is that if you'd like to support us? We use that money to help pay for guests. In this particular case, Kate has generously suggested that we will be donating um, the, the money that we would have given to Kate to some worthy cause. Um, oh, I can tell you the worthy cause if that makes sense. I was going to suggest the Outside Project, who work with LGBTIQ plus homeless people, especially refugees and migrants who are finding themselves more and more pressured in the current situations in the UK. That sounds ideal. Thank you. Well, then, dear listener, that's where the money that um, you will have shared with us again generously this month will go. If you feel like joining us, come to our Patreon. And if you don't feel like you can do that, that's no problem at all. We will just be here and queer once again next time, um, completely freely available at all what is that phrase that you keep saying, Jay? We're all good podcasts are sold. Yes, yes. Because there's now so many different platforms that podcasts can go out on. And it sounds so much better than wherever you found this podcast. We will be here and queer in whatever place you find podcasts again next time. In the meantime, thank you so much for joining us this time, Kate. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you ever feel like doing this again, you are welcome anytime. And I look forward to meeting you again, either online or in person or in some form of other queer space that we can create sometime soon. It is always a delight to talk to you and thank you for joining us. It's been a lovely conversation with the two of you. Thank you. And I would love to do it again sometime. Anytime at all. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. And then then I have, (laughs) bye-bye. And then I do, I have a ukulele. (laughs) Plinky, plonky, ukulele. Yeah, plinky, plonky, ukulele will happen. And then that's it. (laughs)